you would turn with me to Psalm 16. Next week we'll be in Psalms 23 if you'd like to read ahead. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you desire to meet with us. And sometimes it does require slowing down. And here we are this morning pausing in our week to hear your voice, to hear your word together. And we ask that you would pour out life through your scripture, through your truth. We turn our ears to you, our hearts towards you. That it would bring encouragement and that it would bring refreshment. Also, please help us as we go through this month to just sort out those things that we need to do and maybe some of those things that we don't need to do. So, Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read through this psalm and then we'll dive in together. Verse 1, preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my God. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are excellent ones, and whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul and shield nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David, who writes this psalm, is a warrior. We see throughout his life that there may not have been a more fierce warrior in the nation of Israel, in the history of the nation. As a young boy looking after sheep as a shepherd, he was able to fight off a lion and a bear. As a young man, as a teenager, through his confidence in the Lord, defeat Goliath. Then in these years where Saul was trying to kill him with a small band of men fighting for his survival as a king, had many great conquests against their their enemies. The sword was very proven in the hand of King David. But also, he was a worshiper. We know that he played the harp. He was so good at playing the harp that this is what gave him audience before Saul. Saul was disturbed and upset. They were looking for someone who played the harp. No doubt they're looking for the best harpist in the land, and it's David. And David comes in and plays the harp for Saul. David was an incredible worshiper of the Lord. And you would think that those two maybe wouldn't go together. This warrior with these hands of proven with the sword, but yet the tenderness of playing the harp before the Lord. As David is this warrior and he is a worshiper, his heart is resolved. 
as we read this psalm, we see that there's a lot of personal pronouns. David uses I and my so many times in these 11 verses, and he's really showing us how he's resolved to love the Lord, how he's resolved to be close to the Lord. So verse 1, he says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. The word preserve, it means to keep. He's pleading with God that God would keep him and that God would preserve him. I like how David gets to that right at the beginning of this song. This is how he's feeling. He's feeling broken inside. He's feeling like, I can't hold things together. I need you, God, to preserve me. I need you to to keep me. I'm not enough to get through this. Maybe that's how you feel this morning. I oftentimes find myself in that place. Like, Lord, please keep me. Lord, would you keep us as a family? I can't do this apart from you. And thankfully, the promise of God is that he will keep us. That he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He started this good work. He's going to be faithful to finish it. We're in the hand of the Father. We're in the hand of Jesus. He's going to preserve us, the preservation that he has And David begins then to trust that. He says, I put my trust in you. I trust that you're going to keep me. I trust that you're going to preserve me. I'm in your hands. In verse 2, O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. Many times in the Psalms that David writes, he's speaking to his own soul, which is interesting. The soul is the inner man, the mind, the emotion, our will, the part of us that we can't see. And he's saying, my soul has declared that you are my Lord. Personal. Not just that God is Lord, that he is the ultimate authority, but he's he's my authority. And he's reminding his soul of this. And we need to remind our souls many times. Because it's easy for us to allow our soul, to allow our emotions to be what marches us forward instead of going the other way around saying, I'm going to command my soul. I'm not going to allow my emotions to lead. I'm going to allow this decision that I've made, this resolve that I've made to bring my soul in line, to bring my emotions in line. So he's declaring that he's the Lord. And I love in verse two where he says, my goodness is nothing apart from you. In this theme of preservation, it's God's goodness that keeps him, not his own goodness. He's saying, my, my goodness is nothing apart from you. When we think about holding things together, oftentimes we think about our own righteousness, our own hard work. I've got to do these things. If I do my duty, then I'm going to be kept. I'm going to be preserved. But here David's saying, it's not my goodness. My goodness is nothing apart from the Lord. Isn't that freeing to say it's God's goodness that keeps me? It's not my own goodness that keeps me. If we're trusting in our our own goodness, that's going to lead to discouragement. This is where David's delight is in. Verse 3, as for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. This is where David has found his community is inside of the people of God. And he says, the people of God, they're the excellent ones. They're they're the glorious ones. And I delight there in God's people. Isn't it so fun and so rewarding to be in relationship with other believers? 
You think about how believers have encouraged us and challenged us and provoked us to, to love and good, good works, that God has brought us into a family of God, that we have that support with one another. David also had some hurt with the people of God, didn't he? Saul tried to kill him, and Saul was his king. Saul was his mentor, his pastor, if you, if you would. Saul got jealous of David. The anointing was upon David. God's presence was with David. God's presence was departing from Saul. There's this song that kept being sung. It was on everybody's playlist. It was the top of Spotify and Apple Music. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And Saul would go homicidal. Literally. Throw a spear at David to try to kill him. And David could have allowed that hurt to form bitterness in his heart and say, I'm not going to delight in God's people. Saul is one of God's people, and look at how he, he treated me. There will be a handful, maybe, of people over the course of your lifetime that are believers, maybe just one or two, and they will hurt you. We're sinners. We're going to sin against each other. And if you're not careful, that hurt from a handful will cause you to see all of God's people in that light. But I suggest to you that what is closer to the truth is you have far more believers that have blessed you than have hurt you. If we really look at it, we go, man, here's the whole stack of believers that have been a blessing in my life, and here's a few that have done me wrong. I'm choosing to delight in God's people. I'm choosing to plant myself in the midst of God's people. In verse 4, their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. David says if you run after other gods, it's going to multiply sorrow in your life. What's an idol? What's another god? An idol is something that controls us that we answer to. When it rings the bell, we say yes. Anger, yes. Covetous, yes. Lust, yes. Right? Love of money, yes. We've placed it at the top priority of our life. And so when it commands us, we're obedient to it. So we want to choose what we worship very carefully. We want to choose what we put at the top priority of our lives. David had a lot of struggles in his life and a lot of sin in his life. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He ordered for Bathsheba's husband Uriah to be killed. So he's an adulterer. He's a murderer. But of all of the kings of Israel, of all of those that we have in Scripture, there's only one person that God says, this is a man after my own heart. One of the things that David never did is he never fell into idolatry. He never worshipped false gods. Many of the other kings of Israel fell into idolatry. He kept the worship priority right in his life. And he's saying, God, you're my priority you're the one that I'm worshiping. I'm not going to worship these false gods. It's going to bring sorrow into my life if I run after these, these gods. Life is difficult as it is, right? We don't need to multiply sorrow in our lives by going towards idolatry. David says, I'm not going to offer drink offerings of blood to these false gods. I'm not even going to speak the name of these false gods. I love verse 5. 
in this psalm. It's all so good, but I really love verse 5. It says, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. So we go from preservation to portion. David says, you're my Lord, and you are the portion of my life. You're my inheritance. You're, you're my cup. You maintain my lot. I believe that David is probably king by the time that he's writing this. I don't know that for sure. It's just a guess. Because it seems that he's thinking about his kingdom and how do I maintain this kingdom. He could have easily looked to his position to be his portion. Your portion is what you find sustenance in, what sustains you, what you're looking to to satisfy you. So, oh, I'm king. I've arrived. Sometimes we look at a position to be our portion. Maybe you've always wanted a particular job, a military career, or, you know, accountant or school teacher or professor or welder. There's some position you thought, I've got to get to, to this in my career. Put a lot of work into that, effort into it. You get there, and have you ever felt empty? Going, wow, I'm thankful for this job, but it hasn't satisfied me. It hasn't fulfilled me. David's not looking to a position to be able to satisfy him. He could have been looking to his possessions. I'm sure he's a wealthy man as, as a king. Has an amazing palace. You can go through the ruins of King David's palace to this day in Jerusalem. But he's not looking to his possessions. But sometimes we do. Sometimes we look to our possessions to be our portion. Like, oh man, I just got to get new carpet in the house. Save up, get new carpet, and what happens? It gets stained, doesn't it? Like, what in the world, right? It's, ah, you get that car that you've always longed for, and the paint looks so perfect. Then all of a sudden, bike handles along the side, right? Getting the bike out of the garage, and now you've got to scratch a paint in the car or a dent in in the car. Possessions, they they can't really satisfy. And David comes to this point and he's saying, my portion is the Lord. My inheritance is the Lord. The cup that I get satisfied from, it is the Lord. Sometimes we look to good things to be our portion, but God never created them to fulfill us. You may be looking to relationships. You've got a real high expectation on family. My spouse is going to be my portion. I got to tell you, that's an unfair expectation to put on your spouse. As good as your spouse is, your spouse is still a sinner, right? Maybe you put that expectation on your kids. You're like, man, my kids are going to be my portion. That's pretty tough for them to be able to fulfill. They weren't created to fulfill the longing of your heart. If you're single, you might be going, oh, I just... I got to be married. And if I'm married, then I would be satisfied and fulfilled. There's no doubt there's people here this morning who are married that want to be single, and those that are single want to be married. All right? No matter who you end up marrying, how wonderful they are, they cannot satisfy the longing of your heart. Only God can be your portion. Sometimes, even with relationships outside of family and friendships. If we really step back, we're looking for friendships to get to a certain level. And if they got to a certain level, then we would feel good about life. And David in his wisdom and his resolve and his maturity says, I'm going to feast of the Lord. The Lord is my portion. My Lord is my cup. Sometimes it's an experience 
I got to have this experience. That's my portion. I get to get up and ski and snowboard as much as possible. I got to have this vacation. I think about February in Colorado, we're longing for some warmth, warm water and beaches. And it's, oh, if I could just get by some warm water, right? But then we go have that experience and it can't satisfy. It's not our portion. Now, are there anything wrong with those things? No, there's nothing wrong with those things. But if they get in their improper order, we're going to end up empty. So it's to be able to say, yeah, I'm thankful for these blessings in my life, but the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my cup. I'm putting my expectation upon him. He's the one that maintains my lot. If indeed David is king at this time, he could be worrying a lot about the kingdom and this responsibility of being king. And he understands, I'm not the one that holds this whole thing together. This is the Lord. The Lord maintains my lot. I get the impression that David's okay if he loses the kingdom. Like if God doesn't want me to be king, that's all right. I'm not finding my identity in the fact that, that I'm king. So is it your family? Is it your job? Is it your home? Are we these little guard dogs where we're trying to maintain the blessings that God has given to us? Or are we open-handed where we go, Lord, you're the one who gave this and trusted this. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. You're my portion, not this blessing. You're the one who maintains it. And if you take this job away, if you take this, this home away, it's okay. It's, it's in your hands. This is a, also a great way to live with a perspective of, God, you're maintaining my lot. In verse 6, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. As David is thinking about his life and the way things have worked out, and the boundaries, the lines that God has put in place, he says, Lord, the lines have fallen in pleasant places. I have a good inheritance. And this is interesting about life, is that there's lines, there's boundaries. We've all experienced it. You try really, really hard, and then for some reason you don't get a job in the field that you got some training in. Or you're in this job over here, and you're really trying to get into another job, and for some reason you just feel pinned in in this particular job. For whatever reason, you you can't find a house to buy and property values are going up and up and up and rent is going up and up and up and then one of your friends sneezes and they were able to buy a house. Like, how did did you find a house, right? Why did that that work out for you and it hasn't hasn't worked out for me? Or maybe I am single and I want to be married and I'm struggling with this boundary, this line for the time being that God has has put in my life. And as David is focusing upon the Lord, he's like, I'm okay with where the lines have fallen. I'm not living in discontentment, wanting to get outside of the boundaries that the Lord has put in place. Those are miserable days when we're in our life and we're wishing that it looked different. I believe that we get to verse six when we live in verse five. When God's our portion, when he's the one who is satisfying our soul, it's a lot easier to accept the lot that he's given us in life. And not that it's wrong to look for change or knock upon open doors, walk through open doors, but if God closes the doors, okay, God, it's all right. 
The lines have fallen in pleasant places. I have a good inheritance. My, my inheritance is in the Lord. David responding to God's goodness, I will bless the Lord who's given me counsel. Choosing to bless the Lord, choosing to worship the Lord because God has given him counsel. God's instructed him. <clears throat> my heart also instructs me in the night seasons. David was familiar with night seasons both difficult times and physically being up at night. As a shepherd, I'm sure he was up watching the sheep. As a soldier, he would have to have the night watch to watch for the enemy. As a king, there was probably sleepless nights over his kingdom. And he says, God instructed me. My heart instructed me in night seasons. Because God's counsel was in David's heart, then his heart was able to instruct him. If we don't have God's counsel in our heart, be careful what your heart might instruct you in. Have you ever had your heart instruct you in the wrong thing? I sure have. The heart is deceitfully wicked. So we can't just necessarily trust what our heart is saying, but if our heart is founded in God's word, then God can instruct us in the night seasons. How might this look? We're, we're wrestling, we can't sleep. It seems the stillness of the night allows us to focus on the things that we were too busy and too distracted to realize until we go to bed. We go to bed, we're laying in bed, and we're like, yeah, this is an issue. <laughs> this is a difficulty. And then now it's turning over in our hearts and our minds. We're tossing and turning in the bed. This is an opportunity to allow God to instruct us in our hearts to meditate upon God's word, just begin to pray through a section of scripture. What we're going to look at next week, Psalms 23, is one of my personal favorites of when I can't sleep, is to just begin to put my mind upon the Lord being my shepherd and thinking through different aspects of Psalms 23 and praying through it. And there's been several times in my life where God's just been gracious to meet me in nice night seasons, but it didn't always feel that way at the time. It felt more frustrating. I can't sleep. Why can't I sleep? It's three in the morning. I can't sleep. And then realizing, okay, maybe God's got something he wants to say to me in the midst of this. God at times can speak to us through dreams while we're sleeping in the night season. It happens throughout scripture where God will give a dream to someone. He may give you a, a dream. Always make sure to run it through, through scripture. There was one time for me where I was going through a lot of challenges and a lot of difficulties, and I was very discouraged. A lot of challenges in ministry, and this was years ago, and I was very much trying to shake the discouragement that I was feeling. But as hard as I would try to shake it, it seemed to come back tenfold, right? So it was one morning where I was sleeping, and I decided to sleep in, <clears throat> which was a rare morning with young kids. And as I was sleeping, man, <laughs> I had a dream that I was in my garage working. <clears throat> and one of my best friends, he came into my garage and he says, Eric, how are you doing? And began talking with him. And as he spoke in this dream, he quoted Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. 
All you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give, give you rest. And in the dream, when he spoke, I heard the voice of Jesus. And I woke up and that heaviness that I'd been wrestling with for about a year and a half, I woke up and it was gone. The Lord just lifted it off of me and I knew my friend had been praying for me. So it was God really answering the prayer of my friend and lifting this uh, discouragement been off of me. And what was humbling about it is I wasn't even up doing my devotions. <laughs> I wasn't seeking the Lord like I should. I was like, I'm so tired and discouraged. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just sleep in. And the Lord was gracious to meet me in, in the midst of that, that dream. So allow the Lord to meet you in night seasons. If you find yourself not sleeping, to be able to say, what would the Lord want to say to me? <coughs> Verse 8, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. I have set the Lord always before me. This seems to be a mission statement for David, an anthem for David. For the Lord to always be before David, it's saying, I have set the Lord before me in that I'm beholding the Lord. I'm worshiping the Lord. I'm making sure who he is is set before me. But also this authority issue that God is before me. I'm setting him before me. I'm following him. He's my Lord. He's the one who's in charge. Then he knows that the Lord is at his right hand, and because the Lord's at his right hand, he shall not be moved. So we go from preservation to portion to presence, God's presence in our lives. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. It's his promise. His presence is with us. Lo, even till the end of the age, I will be with you, Jesus declares. He is with us whether we feel it or not. The confidence that God was with him allowed David to be able to stand in the face of Goliath when the rest of the warriors were too afraid. Adult men experienced in battle were too afraid. David was able to go and fight Goliath, not in his confidence with a slingshot, but his confidence that God was with him. As David faced Saul and Saul's trying to kill him, he knew that God was with him. So however that turned out, he would not be moved. As a king, even in his own sin and failure, he knew God was still with him and experienced the forgiveness of God, was able to move forward and not allow that sin to be the defining moment of his life, but allow God's love to define him. God's presence is with us. God is with you. He's with you. Whatever you're going through, he's with you. Throughout scripture, when God's people are afraid, the Lord's response is always his presence. Don't be afraid because I am with you. I'm with you. Don't focus on the circumstance. Focus on the presence of God. And because God is with us, then we don't have to be afraid. We are not moved. Verse 8 is a great verse to memorize. If this was a mission, a, an anthem, something that really marked David's life, to set the Lord before us. God, I'm going to make sure I'm beholding you, I'm worshiping you, that you are in front of me, that I'm following you, and then focusing on the promise that God is with us. And because he's with us, then we're not moved. David then responds to God's goodness. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. He begins to think about the grave and having confidence of the Lord in death. 
And his heart's rejoicing in the Lord. His heart is glad in the Lord. He says, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, which is the grave, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Confident that God would raise him from the dead to everlasting life, but also pointing to the Messiah. This is a prophecy of Christ's resurrection. The Holy One is not David. David died and his body saw corruption, saw decay, but the body of Christ did not experience decay as he was only buried for for three days. Peter quotes from Psalms 16 in Acts chapter 2. So keep a finger there in Psalm 16 and turn with me to Acts chapter 2 verse 25. So turn over to Acts 2 25. This is Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's just been poured out on the church. They're speaking in tongues. Peter uses this as an opportunity to preach the gospel because there's great curiosity about the speaking of tongues. So this is verse 25 of Acts 2. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. I'm beholding the Lord. For he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Now, Peter's commentary on this. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Clearly his body was corrupted, decayed. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus Christ has raised up of which we are all witnesses. The resurrection of Christ is predicted all the way back in Psalm 16. It's always in the heart of God that he would send his son to take on human flesh, to live a perfect life, to die upon the cross, and rise again for our sins. Christ slain before the foundations of the earth. Why is this in Psalm 16? Well, one, to show us how powerful God is that he predicted the resurrection of Christ, but also everything in Psalm 16 hinges on the death and resurrection of Christ. How do we know that Jesus is going to be our preservation, that he's going to preserve us? Because he died for our sins and he rose again. And he promises to deposit us safely in heaven. We are glorified. How do we know that Jesus is our portion? How can we really hold on to that? Because Jesus' body was broken. <laughs> he is the bread of life that was broken to forgive us of our sins, but also satisfy our souls. There's no doubt that he's our portion. How do we know that we know that Jesus is going to be faithful to be present in our lives? Did he really mean it when he said, I will never leave you or forsake you? Yes, he did, because he died and he rose again. How do we know that in his presence is fullness of joy? Because of his resurrection. 
So it's very powerful that the resurrection of Christ, the gospel, is right here in Psalms 16. And because of that, our flesh can rest in hope. We can rest in knowing that we have hope because of the death and the resurrection of Christ. So let's go back to Psalm 16 and look at verse 11. You will show me the path of life. David is confident of this. Life is difficult. It's confusing. There's many twists and turns. There's many ups and downs. And as we think about the future, we can have confidence. God, you're going to show me the path of life. When I talk to believers, most believers have a confidence of heaven and a hope of heaven, but we doubt whether God's going to be faithful through this life. Which when we step back from that doesn't make any sense. God, you can provide eternal life, but I don't know if you have the answers for this life. He does. He does. We don't have to worry. We can trust. You're going to show me the path of life. As I walk through life, you're going to show me the path that you have for me. And then in your presence is the fullness of joy. So preservation, portion, presence, and then pleasures. In his presence is the fullness of joy. These other things cannot provide the fullness of joy, only spending time in God's presence. That's why after worship and singing to the Lord, whether it's here in the sanctuary or or in your car or in the shower, many times afterwards you go, man, I just feel uplifted. There's joy in in God's presence. As you spend time praying, going on a walk, spending that time with the Lord, you go, oh, that's so good. There's joy in, in the presence of God sitting down with a friend and talking about the things of God, you get down, you go, oh, there's so much joy there. Jesus was with us in that conversation. Sharing the gospel with an unbeliever, you walk away, man, Jesus was present in that conversation. In his presence is the fullness of joy. John wrote the disciple John, 1 John, about his fellowship with Jesus. I mean, could you imagine? He walked and talked with Jesus that closeness with Christ. John told us that he would rest his head upon Christ's chest. I don't think you can get much closer than that. Jesus is now resurrected, ascended to be with the Father. And John says, the fellowship that I have with Jesus, you also have opportunity for that same relationship. I write these things to you so that your joy may be full. John's saying it's in my relationship with Christ. It's my fellowship with Christ. It's being in his presence that brings me joy. Young people know this. Men really know this. Sin has pleasure for a season, but then brings destruction in our lives. But in God's presence is the fullness of joy. What you're really looking for is a, is a closeness with the Lord. No matter what age we are, this is where joy is found, is in God's presence. Jesus said that he came to give us life and to give it more abundantly, to give it to the fullest. Not that our lives would be easy as Christians, but that our lives would be marked by joy because we're spending time in God's presence. This psalm ends with, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David's looking forward to eternity and being with the Lord. Please know, heaven is not going to be boring, okay? It's not just chubby angels on clouds for all of eternity with harps forever, right? It's pleasures forevermore. This week I was reading in Revelation in my devotions, 
in Revelation 1 and Revelation 4, and John gets a vision of heaven, and he writes down what he saw, the resurrected Savior, and all he can use is the word like. He can't even fully put into words this description, this vision of Jesus. And even his description, the best that he can, is mind-blowing to think of the majesty of Christ. Then in Revelation 4, he's describing what he's seeing at the throne room of God. And as I was reading this, it just caused my imagination to get stirred a little bit to think of, wow, streets of gold, these beasts, these creatures that are flying around the throne room of God. It says they have six wings, eyes in the front and the back of their head. I know your mom told you that, that she had the eyes in the back of her head. But these creatures are just filled with eyes. One that has a face like a lion and another has a face like, like this. And I think God is saying, look, here's just a little picture of these creatures that are flying around the throne of God saying, holy, 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 because heaven is going to blow your mind. There is pleasures around the throne of God that are going to be amazing. We're going to see God. We're going to behold God. We're not going to be hindered by sin. As we behold him, we're going to be like him. And we need to look forward to heaven. When a believer goes home to be with the Lord, the Father's going, welcome home. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of their saints. As we have loved ones who have gone before us and close friends that have gone before us as they're in heaven, if they had the opportunity to come back, they would say, no way. No way. Because I'm at the throne room of God. I am in his presence and there are pleasures for him Evermore. So as long as God has us here, he's here for a purpose. And he decides when he takes us home to be with the Lord. But when that time comes, it's going to be glorious. There are pleasures forevermore at his throne. David's personal pronouns are connected to who God is and his relationship with the Lord. What are your personal pronouns connected to? When you talk about yourself... If we were to think back of recent conversations, when there's personal pronouns involved, what's it connected to? Oh man, my truck, gotta tell you. My family, oh man, I love my family. My family's so, so great. Oh, my cheeseburger, Mm, so good. My vacation, oh, it's just my vacation. It was, it was fabulous. Oh man, my workout, it was incredible. Mm, Yeah, right? And we start to replay all these things that we connect ourselves to, that we we find our identity in, and is it the Lord? Is it the Lord? When When we begin to talk about ourselves, are we connecting it to the Lord? And we go, okay, Lord, I need to find more identity in you. I really need to press into these truths that you're my portion. And in your presence is the fullness of joy. And again, nothing wrong with those things. But what is my passion? What's my priority? And David was a resolved man to say, look, this is where life is at. Life is found with the Lord. He's always before me. And because he's with me, I have confidence I shall not be moved. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are our portion. You're the one who satisfies. It's not position, it's not possession, it's not different experiences that we have. But sometimes we forget that. 
And so would you help us? Would you remind us that you're our portion and show us how to come and dine? And even now, we know that we're in your presence. Would you make us more aware of your presence through faith, that you never leave us, that you never forsake us? We choose to trust that you're the one who keeps us. You're the one who preserves us. And in your presence is the fullness of joy. We want to link ourselves to you, to find ourselves in you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.